Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right. But to repeat my story, I say I was watching before sunrise this uh, tonight just because I'm trying to you know, sort of unplug from the world and not watch the news or anything and watching an old 90s movie. And in the middle of it, Ethan Hawke goes on one of his rants because the whole movie is him and Julie Delpy just having thoughts. And his one thought was saying, talking about how technology saves us all time. And he's like, that's a load of, you know, load of garbage because no one ever says, hey, this word processor saved me time. So I was able to spend more time on my Buddhist meditation. All you end up doing is doing more word processing. So technology doesn't help us at all. Technology stinks. No, I think it's you, you can't necessarily blame technology. You have to blame the mentality behind using the technology. The word processor does save me time. The fact that I then choose to do more work or my boss gives me more work is a result of the time saving, but the mentality behind it doesn't hasn't changed. Oh, you're able to you're able to, to plow. 50 more acres than, than last season? Great. Now I expect that all, all, all the time, peasant. I mean, it's nothing. Exactly. No, nothing's That's exactly changed. what happened. The, the, the technology changes, but it's not the technology that makes things worse. It's the mindset behind the use of the technology that makes things worse. I say when you're the guy pushing the plow, it's, it doesn't make difference if it's your boss or your technology. They're both, they're both making you push the plow more because you're more efficient at pushing the plow. Right. And with but, that, but the difference happy thoughts. But the Welcome to the Sneaky is... Good Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but see, the difference is going to be, would you rather be pushing that, that plow for uh, someone else or pushing it for yourself? See, everyone always says that, but uh, here we are. We're pushing it for the man. <laughs> We're all pushing. The, everybody works for somebody. To quote the Coen brothers, you always end up working for the bank. Welcome to the Sneaky Good Podcast, because we are super positive right now, because we just lost to Auburn by 37 points. Join me, as always, Hi. Chris, my producer. Hi. Hi. That's about all I can How's muster after that disaster. After that disaster, I thought that was a fun cold open. I was talking about the game. <laughs> Dude, that game just... I'm, I think I wrote the definitive take on it. Uh, make bags of Halloween candy. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, Max, did you uh, go across the street or down the road? <laughs> okay, so Max does not get suicide jokes. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, yes. No, I do... Yeah, I know what you're talking about now, uh, mostly because they reference it on Family Guy. But <sighs> no, I mean, like, it's 
you know, if we're making the plow analogy, LSU, LSU's defense, you know, got in the field. They were pushing the plow, and they were pushing the wrong plow in the wrong field. They don't know what they're doing. And also, with us, Zach, who does not know how to use the mute button because we can hear your conversations in the background. How's it going, Zach? <laughs> you know, my favorite plow-related thing is uh, Aerosmith's uh, – Last Child song. That's what I was thinking about when you guys were talking about plows. Okay. I'm glad we kept that somewhat PG. <laughs> <laughs> and I figure that will ingratiate me to the boomers out there who listen to this. I listen to Aerosmith. No, I, I'm Gen X. We did not listen to Aerosmith. That's, uh, yeah. We don't have any boomer fans. I don't think so. Do boomers listen to podcasts that aren't from NPR? No. Maybe Malcolm Gladwell. We have, we have a boomer that listens to our podcast? Yeah, that's what I, I wouldn't think so. And, you know, and Xers, we, we, we hate Aerosmith. We, you know, not, we, not that we don't want you boomers out there. Hey, we would love to have you boomers listen to us. I'm just thinking if there are already boomers out there listening and they know how to use Twitter, they need to hit us up at Pod. Just let us know. Yeah. I can make a Zeppelin reference. Uh <laughs> that was a good de- that was a good defeated sigh. Um speaking of defeated sighs, how about that game? Not good. Just <laughs> it was I'm trying to think if it was because I started watching all this in 2010 more casually, 2011 more seriously. I think I don't know if that was the most humiliating loss. There have been a couple. Auburn 2014 with Brandon Harris was pretty bad. But like, this Auburn team isn't good. That's that's the worst thing. They should they should have been one and four going into this game, and LSU lost to them by thirty seven points. That's LSU isn't just bad. They're not eight and five bad in a regular season. Although, granted, probably a lot of this wouldn't happen in a regular season. But they're like they're like four and eight bad. I love the idea that eight and five is bad. I think that's really says a lot about where LSU has been over the past 20 years that there are LSU fans. I was thinking about this today. Most LSU fans who are under the age of 30 have no conception of a bad LSU team. The no. mere fact that eight and five is considered bad is sort of like, Oh, LSU is not awesome. They're terrible. Like LSU has gone between good and terrific. And so people have conceptualized good as bad. This is a bad LSU team. And it's probably the first bad LSU team since, you know, 98, 99. And I think if you're under 30, you probably either you don't remember those teams or if you do, it was a brief blip, you know, between the Donardo Saban eras. And from that point on, it was all winning. So it, it didn't even like register. It's like, oh, yeah, this team was bad once. Um, and it 98-99 kind of gets pushed back to the Holman era. So I think it's really – this is this is y'all's first experience with a bad LSU team. So how's it going for you? How are you coping? Freaking out. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm, I was born in 93. So I was around for the 98-99 stuff, but I, I have no memory of it. So, yes, this is exactly, like you said, the only truly bad experience I can have any rem- – remembrance of LSU being bad. And it's not great. Um, <laughs> it kind of sucks. 
<laughs> and I remember I messaged the other uh, SEC blog editors either last night or Saturday night. I was like, God, I don't know what else to say about this group. They've just beaten the life out of me. That didn't go over well with the Vanderbilt people. They're like, no, you want to know bad, come be a Vanderbilt fan. And I get they that, do- but for again, like I said, for, for my experience, I don't remember the 58-3 Florida game from what was it, 98, 99? I don't I don't that was remember. That was 93. I was in the oh, stands. Okay, well, it was bad. No, it was bad. Definitely don't remember that. But uh <laughs> yeah, this this is uncharted territory for me. Yeah. And I, definitely I mean, for Max. I do think Max brings up a good point there, because if we bring up the fifty-eight to three game, which is truly you know, the pinnacle of LSU being terrible under Curley. Florida was great. Like, it, it, you know, as much as it was terrible to lose by 55 points, I mean, who really cared? I, I mean, Florida was the number one or, you know, at least a top five team, and LSU was was garbage. So it, it didn't really hurt that much. This is not a good Auburn team. No, and, not remotely. And they, they, they opened up a can. <laughs> I mean, I do think even though the score line wasn't as bad, I do think the 2015 game was worse, the, or 2014, the Brandon Harris game. Yeah. I, I think that was worse uh, it, because that was over after the first quarter. I mean, you knew right away this team has no hope. This was more a game that was close, and then it got away from you really quick. Um, it was sort of like a comedy of errors, and it happened – it happened really fast, honestly. Yeah, like that point, like early mid-ish second quarter when, like, T, like when TJ Finley threw the pick almost six, that was kind of the start of it. And it when it, it when it really got horrific was when TJ Finley came out in the second half and had that interception batted in the air. Actually, no, 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 the fumble was where it got really bad. It was yeah, hard. Because an interception, honestly, wasn't that bad. I mean, it was a terrible interception. I mean, he, he threw it in between two guys. Should have been a pick six. But from a game standpoint, I mean, oh. it was only 7 nothing. I, I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, a guy threw a pick. And honestly, he kind of bounced back on the next drive. And you're like, okay, this is just the way the game's going. It's you know, no big deal. I do think it was the fumble that yeah. kind of changed the tenor of the game. Because from that point on, Finley could hear the footsteps. And he, he was a different quarterback from that point on. Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, Finley is not anywhere near where he needs to be as a processor yet, or maybe ever, but yet, because you, you never know with that, because there are some guys who, no matter what you do, they just don't have the the processing speed. I mean, if I were a quarterback, I'd be one of them, because mine is terrible. Um, but, like, he just, it, it, when you combine that with an offensive line, you just can't trust, and the guy starts kind of hearing those footsteps, it's over. It's over. See, and I kind of disagree. I thought Finley looked, honestly, pretty darn good. And then it was once he made the fumble, it's because he had faith in the offensive line. And once he lost faith in the offensive line, I think it was that he knew what his processing speed now had to be. And he's like, this is too quick to make, to do anything, because they couldn't run the ball at that point. His receivers were now dropping passes. And I think it was like he went shut down. Because before that, he was, you know, through 15 passes, he was about like 10 of 15 for 120 yards. No, he was I, having, I mean, he was having a great game, but he was having a good game. It was, 
it was the fumble where he was just like, okay, I'm not getting any time. And that's when he's that next drive after the fumble, he went incompletion, incompletion, incompletion. And that's yeah. when you could tell he's like, I can't stand in the pocket because I can't trust my offensive line to block for me. Yeah, I can't hand the ball off to anybody because they can't run anywhere. Honestly, before that point, I thought Finley was playing was playing well, even without the caveats of for a freshman on the road in his first start. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But in that that first you know portion of the game that you were mentioning, he was kind of thrown to his first read a lot. Like things were getting schemed open for him pretty easy, and then it got kind. Of, and then Kevin Steele kind of adjusted and started taking away his number one. Like they were really having a lot of success on that that you know three verticals concept where you throw like the either the straight go route or more more often the deep over in the middle off like off and off play action. And they were kind of doing that, and he was getting to the top of his drop and letting it rip, and that was when you can see him be kind of confident. And then when he fumbled, he wasn't even doing that. I mean, he was just – it was all about the pressure the second he got the ball after taking the snap. And that's – you're not going to complete passes doing that. And it's not really his fault. Yeah, I, there was definitely – yeah, because before he fumbled, he was 11 of 16 for about 100 and um, – eyeballing here, about 115 yards. That's actually – that is really good. I mean, that's, I mean, he's having a good day. I mean, he's not, you know, once again, he's not Joe Burrow, but he's having a good day. I mean, he had thrown the pick at that point. From that point on, after the, the fumble, you know, that's, he throws a three, actually four straight incompletions, but I'm thinking three straight because it was the next drive. From that point on, he was two of eight with an interception and he threw for 32 yards. And that was just on that drive where he was just chucking it downfield. Yeah. It, and I think it, part of that was Steele's adjustment. But also, you know, probably even mostly just that fumble. That fumble ruined it. Yeah. And also the defense, you know, giving up a 99-yard drive. It was – we'll say something nice about the defense. They looked really – not really good, but they looked competent for the first 20 minutes of the game. You know, they were holding it together. And when the game got – after the fumble, it's 14 nothing. They don't go anywhere on the next drive. They punt it away, and it gets down at the one-yard line, and you just need a stop. That's where you just you got to help the offense there, and they give up a 99-yard drive and a touchdown with 40 seconds left in the first half. That was when the dam broke. Yeah, and that's eight plays too. Yeah, eight plays. That's that's pretty. That's like over 10 yards per play. That's pretty bad. <laughs> And honestly, not a ton of big plays. It wasn't like they were going, you know, normally when you have a 99 play, a 99 yard drive that takes eight plays, there's only a 40 yard play yeah, in the middle. No, of it was even, it's, that's, that's almost forgivable. Like it, it was worse, like 10 yards, 10 yards, 15 yards, 10 yards, 10 yards. And that's, that's just, that's more depressing. Yeah. Cause you knew they couldn't stop them and you felt before then they had a shot and yeah, the defense was, I don't want, once again, I don't want to say it was playing well, relative, but it did, did look—they had kind of. Hey, maybe this defense had turned a corner. They're going to do something, and no, no, they—they they, very much so. Considering how well the team—I don't want to say how great they looked in the first quarter. They didn't look great, but considering how functional the team looked in the first quarter, compared to what they did in the second half of the second quarter and early in the third quarter, it definitely looked like a team that gave up. Yeah, they quit. No, they there's. If they were, you know, max effort the whole game, I'm not saying they win, but it's 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 not humiliating. They quit and and they they stopped caring. It, 
honestly, like this is not a team with any degree of heart or buy-in right now. And it's hard to blame them because they just won a national championship and they have to go into this pandemic-riddled season. The whole thing about this year, you know, before it was clear that the season was going to be altered, like this was back in like March, everybody was saying like, all right, you know, it's up to Coach O to get this team, you know, not complacent and ready for the next season. Then you throw this their way. I would have... I, I sh- they shouldn't have, but I'm not going to lie. I kind of would have checked out, too. So they benched, it looked like, in the second half, they benched uh, Cox, Clark, and Jacoby Stevens. Does, does that seem right to everybody? Does, was I? Yeah, I know, Cox, I know Cox and Clark got benched. I, I mean, that's a... I mean, you're benching number 18, your high-profile transfer, and your number seven. The symbolism uh, on the note. Yeah, I mean, talk about symbolism. That's just not not a good look. So I guess we go past this one game, which, I mean, there's not much to say about it. They, they were bad. It went quick. They gave up. Anybody want to dispute any of those points? You can't. No. And the frustrating thing is, would we agree that LSU, even though they got the tar beat out of them, they're still more talented than Auburn? Yeah, by a lot. Uh, You've lost three games to teams you're more talented than. You have guys who are going to be playing professional football as early as next fall, the fall after, you know, Stingley, Stevens, Cox, uh, can, can we at least say that Stingley made a great play on that forced fumble when the game was still yeah. competitive? Yeah. That was yeah. the best, the best rule in football when yeah. it worked um, for your team. He did recover the ball anyway. Yeah, it was an immediate recovery. Had the ball not touched the sideline, he still recovered it. So I think we Maybe still would have got presence of mind to get his feet back in bounds and reestablish. Exactly. I mean, he was thinking basketball. It was really good. But yeah, this game was awful. We all agree it was terrible. I don't want to belabor it too much because, like, let's face it, most of us, I don't think most people listening watched all 60 minutes. Because if you did, my God, if you didn't have to, why were you watching that game? Even I didn't. Even I didn't. And I and I never turned games off. Yeah. I mean, I was watching it on my phone. So, because I wanted to see Max, what Max Johnson looked like. So, you know, I'm kind of. Jokes on me. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to write them off, but I'm not that impressed. No, it's not but worth it. it's first. Not. It's first game. I don't, I'm not. But once again, garbage time. So like you throw you throw garbage time production out for quarterbacks. But the, also, that gets into this. Rest of the season, okay. We have an off week. Then we go into Bama. That's okay, that might be fifty-eight-three game. Like I'm dead serious. They might. Okay. Bama's going to be a blowout. That's From a that your score on, kind of game. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see really no way LSU wins that game. Of which course then, not, no way. <laughs> which then begs the question for the rest of the year, what is the goal for the rest of the year? I, I mean, do you just – now, on the one hand, you everybody gets eligibility because they said this year doesn't count, so everybody gets to keep their eligibility, so guys will come back if you want them. Or do you just go hard line and say, hey, you know what, we're playing the kids. Let's just – Treat like practice. Let's give everybody live game experience. Well, I think considering they have eligibility, I think anybody that can come back should kind of be considered not one of the kids, but 
a part of the future. So I, th- I look, I think you go, I think at this point you play on like 60% effort because of how bad the effort level has been. And on like 40%, you know, scale and merit. Cause you, I think you need to send a message that effort matters at this point, especially considering the season doesn't count really anymore. This oh is- yeah. I mean, you're, even if it did count, even though it was a normal season, these games don't right. count for LSU cause you're right, done. Right. Exactly. They're the, the team is, the team is canceled. So I, I think, I think you got to send a message about effort. Right now, I think that's the first and foremost is kind of reestablishing some degree of care. So I think I think you got to play people that care. Um, but I don't think there should be any any. I think you should play who deserves it and who works the hardest and performs the best in practice, and just kind of get some competition within the program, just to kind of get the effort level up a little bit. I think that's what you got to do. It's all about effort right now. Zach. What do you think? You know, I think you have to see what you have in some of these these younger guys now at this point. I mean, throw Josh White into the fire. Throw uh, Sampai in there. I mean, what, what's, what do you have to lose at this point? O did say something interesting during his little presser today. He did talk about how he's trying to talk some guys who are eligible. Because like, like we said, everyone's eligible to come back. He's trying to kind of recruit – his his veteran guys, his draft eligible guys to to give it one more year. And I'm curious. I think Max, were you the one that said he's like subtweeting uh, yeah. Jacoby Stevens? Yeah, like I'm wondering, totally, totally a subtweet of Jacoby Stevens. Like how many of these guys would actually be better served, especially the defensive guys coming back? Because uh, I mean, I, I I hate the the draft stock phrase, but I mean Jacoby Stevens came into this year as like a potential first round pick. That's not happening. Uh, Jabril Cox. I mean, Cox probably has to go at this point now because he passed up the draft once already. But I mean, what impact has Cox made on this team? What impact has uh, Ali Gay? We don't have to worry about Ali Gay leaving anymore. Uh, They they want to get the bag and God bless them. If they do go get that money, but uh, you didn't do yourself any favors on the field this year, or haven't yet, at least. The guy who's leaving is Terrace Marshall, and that's yeah. Terrace. And they're not keeping Terrace Marshall, and you he can't blame him. I mean, he needs he should go, and he. I mean, look, he's played like this season matters to him, and he deserve. And I, I, I'll be very happy to see him rewarded for that. Um, especially you know, in light of Jalen Waddle's injury, which is obviously terrible. Uh, overall, but for Marshall, it does you know kind of give him that extra receiver. Well, I don't know. Jalen Waddle's still going first round, but like it helps. Yeah, no, I mean it does because there's going to be a little bit of scare off of that, and you hate to say that because Waddle's an amazing player, and, and he's, still gonna, he's still going to be he's still going to be a multimillionaire, and he deserves to be because he's a freak athlete and a great player. Uh, but like, it, I think it helps Terrace Marshall, you know, get his way into the first round discussion. Um, and good for him, but it's just him. Like, and- if, if you look at it from the offensive side of the ball, okay, Ed Ingram's a junior, so I don't think he's going to leave early. He hasn't uh, really shown anything. No, nope. Um, Jason Hines is a junior. No. Nope. He, yeah, he's he's coming back. Austin Deculus is a senior. Uh, do you care if he comes back? I, I mean, that's not really a – just- been- It depends if you get Tristan Lee, which is looking not great. 
I mean, he he's been good, not great. Okay, Troy Carter. I mean, Troy Carter. I mean, I love Troy Carter, but you know, you don't really care if he comes back from a. I mean, he's. And then on top of that, you have two receivers. You have Kirkland and McMath. Maybe you want one of them to come back just for the. Well, I would say there's a chance one of them transfers conceivably. I think they should both come back. Like McMath should definitely come back. Cause, although I, I think Racy McMath is physically gifted enough to get some some scouts on his side. He might actually go. I don't. Yeah, because he has special te- he has special team skills. He he could go the uh, um, Cadron Boone route, where you know you don't get any but touches. Route, yeah. yeah, where you didn't get any touches, but you're such a good special teams performer, you still get drafted in the seventh round, or you're an undrafted free agent. So, but then again, like they definitely are transitioning to you. Know, Assuming Marshall's gone, which obviously he's gone, yeah. you, you, they are transferring to Booty, Jenkins, uh, Palmer, you know, Coy Moore Actually, already. I understand you kind of had a vacuum left, but like the last couple, I, and I guess Trey Palmer is a highly recruited player, but like I feel like you got to be a little better than that at receiver. I, I, I still th- like McMath is really physically gifted. That's the frustrating thing about this is he has. The uh, the physical tools to be a great receiver. But, I, I, I've been really impressed with Jeray Jenkins. He, he's he's yes. looked like yeah he he's looked like a, a man out there. And and Trey Palmer, while he hasn't done a whole lot as a receiver, he's been really good as a returner. He almost broke that one. How different is the game if he breaks that uh, kickoff a little, return? A little different, yeah. Palmer had the misfortune of running into like the one six foot two or six foot three kicker in in the country. Yeah, the yeah, one he, kicker he scores on. He scores on anybody else. So, yeah, it's just kind of – there's not a whole lot of seniors and juniors on this team anyway. Um, I mean, we've just gone through everybody. And there's really not a whole lot of guys who are just like – outside of Marshall, who you know isn't going to stay, and Stevens, who you might be able to make a pitch towards, there isn't a whole lot of guys who are like, please come back. Another guy I want to come back that I think people are forgetting about what if Liam Shanahan comes back? Imagine how much better the offensive line can be next year if you With have a center caller. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you that. Liam Shanahan is probably the most important guy to come back of the upperclassmen. Yeah, just because you, you want an experienced center. I mean, I don't know where he would go, though. That's the thing. Like, oh, he would, not- I mean, he's a transfer here, so he wouldn't – the only thing is if he's just say, hey, I'm done with football. Yeah, Maybe. He's a Harvard finance major, so he's got, like, a future. Yeah, exactly. There, there might be a, I don't want to ram my head into things anymore. That w- well, there, yeah. there are mutterings that he's he's considering it, so that's something to keep an eye on. And, frankly, I, I think another thing that would be big for LSU moving forward, if they can get some of these guys back, there's not a lot of scholarship people left right now. I mean, they're, they're at, what, in the 60s compared to the full 85? I think that's a bigger factor than, than people want to admit. Only having yeah. 60 players is a huge deal. Yeah. That leads to a lot of fatigue. It leads to injuries. There's talent there, but when you don't have a full roster, particularly – I mean, we're talking – instead of 85 players, you only have 60. That's, a, you know, a quarter of your roster that's gone. yeah. That that is a just from a number standpoint, that's a huge deal. Because um, with um, with 
Apu Aika transferring, I believe the the 2020 class, they've already lost seven people. Someone counted it on the on a comment on the site today, but the uh, the 19 class, they've lost it feels like half the class already. And like you can't ha- you can't lose that much of your underclassmen already, especially as much of the juniors and the seniors that LSU consistently loses because of j- graduation in the draft. Yeah, there's almost nothing there. Uh, the, yeah, the junior class is almost gone. Yeah, it's a shorthanded group, and it's really starting to show right now. That's how, you know, God bless guys like Charles Turner, but Charles Turner shouldn't be your second option at whatever offensive line position. He still needs to be developing, and maybe down the road, once he's a senior, could be a Lloyd Cushion Bear, but not right now. I mean, you look at it right now on the official depth chart. Let's see, LSU has a at the offensive line position has a freshman backup at left tackle at left guard at center at right guard. And that's it. I mean, four of the five positions are backed up by a freshman. Yeah. I mean, it's, we, you know, obviously, you know, LSU's getting some accolades for how they've recruited over the past few years, but they, ha- they haven't actually recruited the offensive line very well. Like they have recruited a line well in like a decade. Yeah. And look, honestly, LSU hasn't had like outside of last year, the past five years, the offensive lines have been kind of consistently bad. You can't, they, you can't, they, you can't build a, a a consistent contender that way. They need to do a much, much better job. And look, it's gonna start with getting Tristan Lee. Like he's I think he, not Mason Smith, even though Mason Smith would be a tough loss because he's a you know a heavy LSU lean and has been for a while, but like he also may come with Corey Foreman as a package deal, but like you got, I think you gotta, cause you gotta get Tristan Lee that, you know, five-star tackle like that Alabama and Georgia and Clemson get all the time. Like you can't run out there with, you know, mid four stars as your starters and, you know, freshman three stars as your backup that's been the, yeah. That's been the way for years. Only they haven't been freshmen. Yeah. So. Well, and you are. Let's let's give credit to the twenty twenty one class. You do have uh, Garrett Dellinger in the boat. Who's a uh, he's a four star, but I believe he's a top one hundred prospect. And he's he's pretty good. He'll start. I think he's like the best lineman they currently have, or assuming he signs, of course. But he'll be the best lineman they've had since uh, I think Lyell signed in twenty eleven. Or yes, that's depressing. Uh, but, but yeah, it's it's interesting. Like like I agree with Max totally. Lee is a must, and I'm just thinking back about that that Auburn game this past Saturday. Just gave me so many Alabama flashbacks. Just like at the peak of this that Alabama win streak started up front. Just you know, guys like Ethan Posick and Gerald Hawkins just getting worked by the Alabama defensive line. That's just that that's the memories I have. And that's what I equate Saturday's loss to. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at it right now, um, look at the class on two, four, seven LSU currently has 21 hard commits and only one of them is an offensive lineman. That's a problem. <laughs> so, uh, um, if you're thinking about what they need to sign for the rest of this class, stop thinking, uh, glamor players and start thinking big uglies to, Go to our Keith Jackson levels. So to help you guys with uh, do better at receiver, even like they need to be maybe. I mean, I, we'll see what Jeray Jenkins is. I th- I like. I don't know how good he is. 
He, I think he's good, but I don't know if he has like the raw talent to actually be really great. And you look at the receiving cores teams have, like you got to have like two studs. You also have to have linemen. Although I count Eric Gilbert in that, so you got Gilbert and Boutte. That's that's pretty good. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Never mind. I talked about. So I was saying, if, if you've been, you know, your guys not used to rooting for really really bad teams. It's your first experience with it. It'll be okay. Remember, ninety eight, ninety nine, two really bad LSU teams. Ninety eight started ranked top ten, ended up four and seven. Ninety nine was a disaster from start to finish. And in 2001, LSU won its first SEC championship since 1986. So don't panic. Things can turn around in a hurry. It's a bad year. Just roll with it. Have fun with it. And, you know, it'll be funny if we beat A&M anyway. And with that, let's go to the question bag. All righty. Brad Falk's going to open things up by asking, what is your favorite T-shirt and why is it your favorite T-shirt? Is there a story behind it? And it doesn't have to be your lucky LSU shirt. It can be anything. His current favorite says, love over hate, queso over everything else. That's pretty good. And and, and Brad goes on to say that the silent nods I get in public affirm my beliefs in queso. Queso is great. I'm not going to knock it. Yeah, I got to go. uh, Ironically, like right now, it's probably my LSU 2019 SEC champion shirt because I remember this is just, it's kind of bizarre, but like during the, before the SEC championship game, like after the A&M game and before the championship game, I was just like, look, I'd rather you win a national championship, but just win this one thing so I can have a championship t-shirt. That's all I want. And I got it. And so LSU wins the game, and I'm on Fanatics like as soon as possible getting that shirt. So and, and yeah, it's my favorite it's my favorite shirt, even though I have three national championship shirts. Actually, I think I have five. But that's yeah, that's the one. Well, not my favorite shirt overall. I will say my favorite bit of national championship gear is I finally got a schedule shirt. When I was a kid, oh, I, I, I was always jealous of people who were for a team that could have like the undefeated season and had every team you beat. So I totally bought a schedule shirt. I'm not and and I enjoy having that. It's like, Hey, undefeated. That's the first, I mean, cause we've had national champions before, but it's the first time I could get, you know, a straight run of undefeated season. That was kind of cool for me. Yeah. You don't want the two Oh seven losses on there. Yeah. But, uh, um, my favorite sh- uh, shirt overall, actually my wife, uh, has a really big family. I have a very small family and they always have like family reunions and things like that. So I'm always kind of going as a significant other. So I have a significant otter t-shirt ah. and I, I like, uh, I have a, just a truly frightening amount of uh, novelty t-shirts because I'm in a state of arrested development, but I do enjoy my, um, my significant otter t-shirt because I get to wear it to family functions. That's pretty great. I got a couple different shirts. Uh, this one, there's nothing even special about it. It's just this kind of like Heather Gray Hanes brand T-shirt, but it's like really comfy. It fits me well. It looks good with all my all my shoes, all my pants. It just it's a good it's a good shirt. In fact, I remember I lost that shirt, and I went to like seven different WalMarts back home to find the same kind of shirt. I eventually found it. 
Very excited about that. Uh, I have another shirt, which I actually had to take down from the website. My uh, my Mando t-shirt that I designed for In the Valley Shook that got stricken down because of some Hayton shoe company sent me a cease and desist letter about that. It was very upsetting, but I was able to get a shirt. Boo. Uh, That's brilliant. Uh, Boo, I, lawyers. I, I wear that on Fridays now, now that uh, Mandalorian Season 2 is streaming. Uh, I also, I, I marched in LSU's band while I was in school, and my uh, my trombone section t-shirts mean a lot to me because those shirts, you know, just represent the year. They got all these inside jokes and nicknames about all of us. They just, they mean a lot to me. And uh, finally, my other other favorite t-shirt I've known going long is my Northside Elementary Panthers faculty t-shirt when I taught fifth grade social study there. Shout out to the Northside Panthers. I miss you guys. Well, for me, I I've got, for anyone who has ever followed me on social media, which I'm not sure how much of the podcast audience has, um, I have a rather extensive t-shirt collection for two years uh, for the latest Star Wars movies, I had a no-repeat Star Wars t-shirt run centered kind of around when the movies were coming out and stuff. And the the last one went over two months. So it's really hard for me to pick a favorite. I, I can tell you that I have probably about three to four shirts that I wear routinely because of their comfort. They are that kind of real soft cotton. One of them is from uh, the guys over at Cotton Bureau. They make all kinds of great shirts. And I'm wearing actually wearing one right now. Uh, it's uh, from my friend Paul's uh, company, TapBots. They make a great Twitter app for iOS and Mac called TweetBot. And so a little free plug there for Paul. But And then I got another one, uh, similar style that... Uh, promotes Amana Kids, which is the charity uh, in Africa that my wife and I are involved in. And it's just, the material is just so soft and so comfortable. It's like, as, as soon as they're back out of the laundry clean again, I'm, I put them into my rotation to wear. So those are probably my current favorite shirts. Anybody else got anything to add about in the shirt category? No, no you, you close it out. We can't top uh, your African charity. We're, we're all <laughs> selfish jerks and you're know, like uh, doing things that help people. <laughs> Actually, I do have a shirt that helps people. Um, I have my uh, my Nashville Strong t-shirt. I live in Nashville nowadays. You know, we had that tornado hit in uh, in March and I bought a Nashville Strong t-shirt, really trying to embrace the uh, my new community. Plus, it's a good T-shirt. I'm realizing white and blue are my colors, and it looks good on me too. <laughs> I know it's arrogant, but it, it did go to a good cause, uh, and I'm glad I have that. I'm glad I bought that shirt. Yeah, I have to change mine. I have a Hamilton Puerto Rico shirt from when I went to see Hamilton in Puerto Rico. Nice. Like the one shirt that like makes me look like somewhat tolerable, and so I'll always wear it if I'm like performing. Like if I'm ever like singing at like an open mic at school or something, or any or anything that I don't have to dress up for, or wear or you know wear a costume for in theater, that's the shirt I wear. I'd like to say that I'm impressed by how much uh, action we got out of a t-shirt question. So <laughs> outstanding question. All right, so Video Barles has a spooky question a week late. He wants to know, how long could you survive in a mall during a zombie apocalypse, a la Dawn of the Dead? 
Well, you know, I think for me, a lot of that boils down to, well, who am I with, right? Yeah. Also, the kind of zombie. Uh, I think we should stick with the classic George Romero zombie since he is referencing Dawn of the Dead. Yes. So, yeah, we're talking slow walkers that give you, you know, a little bit better chance. Yeah. Um, it depends on how long the food lasts at the food court. Yeah. And that food court's hard to get to. I mean, the food court tends to be in the middle of the mall with ton of access points right i i worry about my food supplies i i think you can hole up in some places you can do pretty well but well, getting know, think, to the i'm thinking about like willow bend you know here in in the dallas area the food yeah. court's actually on one end of the mall or, or, or i guess technically it's in the middle but it's not in the yeah, middle it's, middle it's, it's, I also, it's off it's, on a corner. Yeah, it's on, it's, a hallway it's, on it like an ex, it's on like an exterior, right? So your zombies could all be pressed up there by the glass while you're trying to go through the various little restaurants trying trying to eat, you know? So, yeah, yeah a lot of it depends on, you know, mall layout, like you were saying. Yeah, so not that long. I'm going to be honest. Um, I'm not going to last that long. Uh, also, most malls don't sell ammunition anymore. Are you, are you um, like a week, a couple of days? I'd go, you know, probably a little over a week, but that's about it. I'd be the first to die. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie to everyone. I'd be the, I'd be the first to die. Uh, I'd give myself about over under 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy. I'm the, I'm the guy who dies first. All right. That's fine. I mean, all right. Like, so, so I want to be there with Max because I could just push him out as a sacrificial lamb. So there yeah, you that's right. We're gonna push him in front of a in front of a walker. Right? <laughs> that's my role. I mean, it's it happens. I, I'm, he, I'm trying to think of who the only zombie thing I've ever seen is The Walking Dead seasons one through like six before I stopped watching it. Uh, and like I'm trying to remember who the first one to die was, but I'm him. <laughs> And Max would be uh, Max would be Otis in the situation where, and we would all be the shame. We would shoot yeah. Otis no, in the leg no. and just survives like yeah. Otis survived like a few months into the apocalypse. I'm not making it that long. <laughs> I mean, I would be like at I don't know, like I'd be one of the people in the Atlanta camp that they just already forgot about by the time Rick got there. Yeah, I'm Glenn. I'm I'm useless, but I'll hang around for a while. <laughs> you will occasionally have something to offer that, that's beneficial yeah. to everyone. Yeah, I'm definitely not Rick. Let's not go. <laughs> Rick just apparently Rick just left. Like he just left in like he's the getting last his own movie, dude. He's getting a movie. Yeah, we're making a Rick movie. <laughs> Who's watching uh, this? Ah. Uh. So Zach, oh. how about you? How long do you think you're going to last? Longer than Max, but not not much longer. I'd probably be second after Max. Although, like, are these the zombies that like kind of like like to eat you? Because like I'm I'm a skinnier guy. Maybe they might like look at me and go, "Yeah, there's not a lot to work with here." Just... <laughs> They're not. They're zombies. Them. They don't make rational choices. They just go with what's close. Eating, yeah. Right? Yeah. They... Yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, I think it kind of depends on you know lots of factors. Like who, who am I with when it happens, and you, you know, I, I could see going in the first twenty minutes, or or I could see being there being there a week. It all just yeah. kind of depends on yeah. on how things are when it goes down. 
I'd have to be a little surviving bit... the pandemic itself is a lot of luck. Yeah, I think. But if you think you're surviving like months or something, if you're or years, like you're one of the Walking Dead people, no chance. Uh, just yeah, no way. None of us are making it to that. I, I've always, you know, just and Poser, you can back me up with this because you have small children. I just figure anyone with kids. Oh yeah, you, you might as well write yourself yeah. off, right? Because yeah, they're they're going to get me killed. My you, my son, your children are either going to be the ones that infect you, or you're going to have to do something, you know, heroic dad like. Yeah, to save the kid. Yeah, my right? kids are going to just yeah. One of those two things is going to happen. So yeah, knock me down until twenty minutes because yeah, that's about how long it'll take. Uh, right, that's what I'm saying. It depends on who I'm with. If I'm with my kids, it's going to be a day or less. I'm yeah. Yeah, yeah, little kid. Huh, let that be a lesson to you, little you know kids. How, they just. You know how I know? I you know how I know for sure. I mean, besides the fact that I'm not in the greatest of physical condition, but like I know for sure because I got COVID nineteen before they even canceled the Big Ten basketball tournament. I got it immediately. There's a global pandemic, and I'm like one of the first one percent of people in America to get it. There's no way I'm surviving anything. <laughs> Max, are you a COVID hipster? That's right. Right here. We are we are COVID COVID hipsters here on the Sneaky Good Podcast. I had it before the entire state of Florida and New York got it. That's amazing. Like Patient I got zero right here. I, I was probably with, in Connecticut, I was within like a hundred. So yeah. I think no. I'm out a little bit I think I'm out a little bit harder. I probably don't make it that much longer in a pandemic because I, I I suck at The Last of Us, and if I suck at The Last of Us, I probably wouldn't do well in the real life equivalent of that either. Well, there's our next band name, COVID Hipsters. All right, yeah, COVID Hipsters. That's a. All right, Jacob Hibbert doesn't really have a question so much as a statement. He simply says, "Simply having a wonderful Christmas time." is played on loop in North Korean gulags. Yes, he's right. It's got to be true. That song's terrible. It's, ugh. I mean, I will defend Paul McCartney as a better Beatle than he gets credit for. I think he's better than John Lennon, which is a very uncool opinion that has now become cooler over the years. But that said, Wonderful Christmas Time is a crime against humanity. And yeah, it makes me rethink everything and want to put Ringo ahead of him. Oh, I mean, like, there's there's nothing that would make you have a less wonderful Christmas time than hearing that song. It's it, it, I, so I think that if you want to give Paul McCartney a ton of credit, I think it may be psychological warfare. It may be you know anti Christmas. It may be the first shot in the war on Christmas. And maybe it was that was the and do you they know it's Christmas time was the second shot. Oh, God. Um. Uh, yeah, say band aid. <sighs> uh, I won't stand for this left handed slander. Let's, 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 let's move on from that. All right. Brad Scuria has a question more suited for our friend Zach than any of us because Brad wants to. Brad says, I can't seem to get the rice right in my jambalaya. It always turns out more of a mush than anything else. Any tips? Well, yeah, you just how much it, it comes down to just double the amount of water you're using for your rice. That's that's elementary, dude. What are you doing? 
two cups of rice or jambalaya mix, whatever you're doing, four cups of water. It's, 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 luckily, Jacob, I taught middle school mathematics. I'm not, not well, but I taught it. It's, it's Brad, uh, not, not Jacob. Oh, Jacob was the last guy. Yeah. <sighs> luckily, Brad. Thing. You taught math. I taught math. <laughs> not well, but I taught math. Uh, so if we need some fraction lessons, I got some good ones still saved on my laptop somewhere. <laughs> so, there, so there you go, Brad. Just e- email Zach. The, the, you can find his address on, on the website and uh, yes. hook you up. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it because uh, I'm not nearly the experimental chef that, that Zach is. And even I know exactly what you said. You just double your water for your rice. And, and that's it. Yeah, I just follow. I will the rules. say, so, I don't get cute. rice is rice is tricky, and you feel like an idiot when you screw it up because it's so simple. Yeah. Um, we I have burnt rice before. That's that's a common thing that happens. Uh, but once you just, you know, two to four, three to six, four to eight, a hundred to two hundred, whatever you're doing, whatever your name is, I forgot again, Brad. Uh, Brad. <laughs> Just, just double it, man. You can do it. And you know what? I think I'd rather have the mushy, too moist rice than over the dried out stuff. Sure. So, oh, I totally agree. Mushy because, rice isn't that bad because it all sticks together. You can kind of, you know, oh yeah, like. Well, and you so you use a little less of it, right? And it, and you're usually mixing your rice with something else anyway. So yeah, yeah. Just use extra whatever else with the rice. No. Well, that's it for the questions. Oh, I said, yeah. Not a heavy, not a heavy week because everybody's depressed. <laughs> Everyone stopped I, watching, and so they didn't have any more questions. I, I think I did a uh, pretty decent job explaining what's going on in the game review, like with the defense and the fact that they don't understand, like they they haven't been taught really any coverage more complicated than just straight man to man, and the fact that opposing coordinators know this and are just running different man beating concepts to murder them. And they're quitting in the middle of games. I mean, it's it's like it's no mystery what's happening. Actually, we do have one more question because I put out a second bag uh, from Jacob Hibbert. Pelini is gone after this season. Is a four three just not able to defend the modern spread, or was it just Pelini? No, it's just Pelini. He can't look at what's happening and say, "Yeah, this is inherent to the four three. Like a guy, like guys not knowing how to play, you know, stubby coverage, which is a pretty simple. Well, actually, it's it's. I mean, it's a little complicated with the, all the assignments and stuff. But like, they don't know how to play banjo or palms or any coverages. Like, I mean, you can't really blame you know a kind of system if they're not doing it. Like, they're not doing anything. They're not. They're not running a system. So not necessarily. I mean, Penn State is generally pretty good against spread offenses. You know, the more I kind of read and think about it, I still think the three four is kind of better for the modern age. It's not like you can't rush the passer with it. Look at the Steelers. But like, no, it's just Bellini. Well, let me cut. Can I just cut him a a small bit of slack? I mean, Bellini. Yeah. I mean, I mean okay. no, hey, no, wait, 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 wait. we've been slamming Pelini, so let's at least have someone try to defend him. I think this is only fair. <laughs> Elshie's been playing a three-four for the past what? How long was Randy here? Four years, five years. So like, they don't have the defense, like the defensive 
ends are playing defensive tackle or it's the, the players aren't yet suited for fourth. It doesn't have that have to do with some of it. A lack of personnel. Yeah. Well, like, I, like I would say that if they were on their assignments and just getting beat, but like, they just don't know what to do. Like you could put like, even Derek Stingley's having a bad year. Really? Like he really, he really kind of is. Like his PFF grades in the sixties right now, and it was ninety two last year. I know that doesn't tell you everything, but like that's a drop. I'm, so I mean, like Derek Stingley's suited. He's playing corner. He's suited to play corner. But like, if they just don't really know what they're doing, then you could put Ronnie Lott back there instead of Jacoby Stevens, and he's if you don't tell him what to do adequately, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable how they didn't install anything. I, I will say, and I'm also not going to defend Bo Pelini. I don't, want, but I don't want to say it's just Bo Pelini. I do think there's something to the idea that the four-three defense might be on its way out. No, I agree, but I just don't think that it's relevant to what's happening to LSU because what's happening is more is more inexcusable than that. Like it's not that like they're not playing anything. No, I mean, it's, it's terrible. I, I agree with that. But remember, the offseason, like, hey, we're getting out of the 3-4. One of the reasons Bo Pelini was hired was because he's going to run the 4-3 defense. And I think while the mistake of hiring Bo Pelini is still bigger, it starts from a point of, hey, we want to play a 4-3. That might be the first mistake, which all mistakes then derive from there. I, I think they might need to reevaluate hey, these are the kind of people who run the 4-3. You're going to end up with Bo Pelini or someone like that. And is that who you want your DC to be? Because anyone who's still running a 4-3 is behind the times and running a defense not suited for the modern era. I, I do think there's something to that. Um, I, I agree that there is something to it being the 4-3 kind of going out of style a little bit. You even see it more in the NFL with like teams like the Steelers running the 3-4 to great effect. Well, they've been running the three four since the seventies. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> like, but it, they're showing that you can get a pass rush out of it, which was was Ogeron's grievance. But like, I will also say that it's it's a little uh, it. You kind of have to ignore guys like Brent Pry at Penn State and Jeff Halfley at Ohio State last year, who were running the four three. But I, I mean. The, the Big Ten is a little different. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, how many spread offenses are you know going through the Big Ten? At this point, all of them except Iowa and Wisconsin. But even then, they're still not as far along in the revolution, to borrow from the commies, as uh, as even the SEC is right now. Like they're they're deep in the revolution. But, so yeah, no, I think there's definitely something to it, but. You you can you can't really definitively say that that's the problem with LSU when like they're playing banjo and instead of taking you know which guy goes in and which guy goes out which is the assignment they both like they both take the guy that goes in or one guy thinks it's man to man just straight up and that kind of stuff like if you're not playing the system you're not playing the coverages it's it's hard to blame the coverages but I do think they would be getting out schemed. If they were, because I don't think Bo Pelini is a good defensive coordinator. And I think in the end, yeah, I think that's correct. 
I think Dave Aranda was right about what to do defensively, and Ed Orgeron is wrong. And I think if he's going to be, you know, really married to that, and he's going to be a little bit of an ideologue here, that could be a serious problem. Because let's be honest, what he wanted was quarterback pressures. He's gotten it. LSU ranks second in the SEC in sacks. Yeah. So mission that's a, accomplished. That's a genie. That's a genie <laughs> wish if I've ever seen one. You get quarterback pressures, but your defense doesn't know how to make how to play simple coverages. Mission accomplished. <laughs> we have quarterback pressure. So the monkey paw curled in and granted his wish in the worst possible way. Yeah. At the yeah. horror movie that it is, which was perfect for October 31st and our loss to Auburn. And with that, go Tigers. Go Tigers.